will never lose its power. It never has lost its power. And I am so thankful that we serve a God that is alive today, that we're not some relic of history that we just kind of look at and think, oh, that's good news, and we just kind of revolve around it. But a God that is truly, truly alive. Now, I was about 12 years old, roughly. And for anyone who's a little bit younger here today, it may seem a little bit strange, but um, Atari was the video game, that we first video game that we had. And shortly, I shouldn't say shortly, several years after, there was the video, it was a video game console called Nintendo. And I know that things look a little different now. But back then, it was so exciting for friends to play with each other. And we actually had to go to each other's house to play. Now, before that, I never, ever had a, my, my parents never said something like, go out and play. Because that's all we did. We went out and played. There was really nothing to do in the house. But when video games came, it was, get out. You've been in here too long. But I remember specifically, I had some new games, and I couldn't wait to share them. And they couldn't come to my house. I was going to their house. I don't know, two or three games I had in my hand, and I ran down there with some friends, and we were down there in their house just having a good time playing video games, and we heard a car pull up. He looked at us, he said, go hide, you're not supposed to be in the house. (laughs) So me and my friend, we went, and we went in that closet in his bedroom because we couldn't get out, it was too late, and they closed those bifolding doors, and it was a hot July day. I don't think the air conditioning was on. You know, you used attic fans a lot back then, and I was burning up and sweltering. And my mind began to think, how am I ever going to get out of here? We sat there for at least 10 minutes, I mean, just dripping sweat, looking at each other, trying to talk so no one could hear us in that closet. And he said, I can't do this much longer. And I said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't leave. We're, we're, it's going to be really a mess for us. About 20 minutes, we're in this closet. They're starting to cook supper, and I can smell it. And I'm thinking, how are we going to get out of here? About 30 minutes, my buddy says to me, I don't care what happens, I'm getting out of here. And I'm like, well, so he just busts open, gets out, and I thought, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay in the closet in the swelter? And so I said, well, I guess I got to go too. So I hop up, and we get out. They're in the kitchen. Back those days, didn't have open, open houses. You know, open, the kitchen was kind of a closed-off space. And we shot out, turned right back around, and rang the doorbell. Hey, we're here to play. I tell you that because there was this point of being so scared that we were so, I mean, ultimately, was I going to stay there all night and sleep because I was scared that I'd be in trouble for something? Sometimes fear has such a way of just controlling us that we just stay in the closet all the time when we really just need to get out and get out. Now, my little illustration falls short of actually being a, uh, a good biblical illustration because I was in there because I was done wrong. But I think often we get in this corner in this closet and we live in this scared moment our whole lives. Sweltering with the heat knowing that it's uncomfortable, but somehow it's better than what we might face. Today is the fourth of this series that we have been in, and even though it's going, going along with Lent, it's not exactly Lent, but it, it certainly can, can make some 
help during this time. If you remember on the first Sunday, we talked about how life gives us detours and things happen, sometimes of our own making. And sometimes they just happen to us because life just happens. Uh, but nonetheless, we can fulfill God's purpose in our life no matter what, no matter how bad it's been. Ultimately, we can still fulfill God's purpose. The second week, we talked about how, how pain happens. And sometimes when pain happens, it calls us home. It draws us to know that this is not the way it's supposed to be. That God had created a better and it reminds us that we're not in heaven yet. And we shouldn't be so comfortable in this place that we don't begin to move towards heaven itself and, and try to create heaven as much as we can upon this earth. And then the third week, we talked about having the courage to get out of the boat. To get out of the boat and do something for God. And not just to get out of the boat, but to call out to God and ask him to tell us this rhema word of God. To, that we might be encouraged to get up and to take action. And this week, we're going to take a look, and it's just a coincidence that we have a Gideon speaker, but we're going to take a look at the life and the call of Gideon, who really has to overcome some major things in life, in particular fear, to, to really accomplish what God has called him to do. Now, this morning, we're going to read, or we're not going to read, it's the entire 6th and 7th chapter of Judges. I'm going to allude to it, but I'm not going to make you listen to it all. I'm just going to read two verses to start it off. So if you'll stand with me in Judges chapter 6, just the 11th and 12th verse uh, this morning. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizurite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. You may be seated this morning. The story of Gideon is a great story that's found in these two chapters. And it's an example of really what I would say is an extraordinary man who was facing fear and was paralyzed in many ways. And he overcomes it with God's help. That's exactly what we want to, to have us understand in a biblical way this morning. He learned to trust God and he became a man of impressive courage. But for the moment, he's hiding from the enemy where they cannot see him. Now, it's quite interesting that I think this story, even though we may not lead an army of people, really relates to us in whatever's going on in our life. Because I think most of us could possibly be living in the closet, hiding from the enemy, not really being effective because we're just flat out scared. The first thing that is found in these scriptures is you have this task from God that's given. That's given to each and every one of us. And, and if you say, well, what task is given to me? If nothing else, he's called you to be disciple of God that you might go out in the Great Commission style and evangelize the world. So if you can't find out what you think God is calling you, that's the default right there. It, it's for every one of us. But here's this task from God that's given to Gideon and it begins with this angel appearing to Gideon to give him this task that is overwhelming that he's scared to death to lead Israel into battle against the Midianites 
Now, that sounds simple enough, but you should really understand what's happening here. The Midianites are ruthless people. They have become raiders, and they come in and they swarm. So what happens is they let the Israelite people grow the crop, and just when it's about ready, they come and take the crop. Say, thank you for growing that for us. We appreciate that. And they take it. Whatever it is. If they are lucky to be able to get some of that crop before the Midianites come and take it, then they would do like Midian. He was hiding, threshing the wheat so that they couldn't see so that he could have it. You know, you know about threshing wheat, don't you? you, you the thresh, is, is they basically kind of beat it, and the wind blows and separates the two pieces, the good and the bad. And so he is hiding where there is no wind. So I don't know what he's doing, how he's trying to separate this, but ultimately it was worth the task. He's hiding in a closet where there is no wind, where it's stifling, just trying to figure out how he's going to separate it. He is scared to death. Rightfully so, the Midianite people have been oppressing them like crazy. Invading their land, stealing whatever they can from anybody, burning homes. I mean, they are just some ruthless people. In Judges 6, 5, it says the enemy hordes stayed into the land was stripped bare and Gideon was afraid. When Gideon is down there, Judges 6, 12, 15 says the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero in a different version. Mighty hero. I want you to think about that. Mighty hero, you person who's hiding out in the closet scared to death of all things. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And then Gideon replies in a very reasonable manner, I think. A very reasonable manner. You can keep your scriptures open. We're going to walk straight through chapter 6 and chapter 7 if you want to follow along. I think Gideon replies in, in a very, very logical way that I probably would respond to. He says, hmm, you're with me? Are you really? Why has this happened to us if you're with us? Why are these people destroying us? Why are they coming and just pillaging everything that we have if you're with us? If you're really with us, why is life so hard and why am I hiding out? And where are the miracles that have been told of past lives? The miracles where God came down and parted the Red Sea. Miracles where God has smited uh, other armies and everything. Where are those? I've heard about them, but they're not alive with me right now. Now remember Judges, if you know about the story of Judges, it's, it's, a, it's a cycle like this. You know, they eventually find out they've done wrong, they repent, they do everything, and then God redeems them, they come back and they start doing wrong again, and they repent and they come back. So this is the, the life, and so here we are. We're in a down cycle where they're not really following God, and, and Gideon's saying, if you're really with us, why are we going through this? Why aren't we seeing miracles? Didn't you bring us out of Egypt? And now you've abandoned us. Pretty bold for someone to talk to God that way, but it makes sense to me too. Well, the angel just says this. Go with the strength you have. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, he said, how can I rescue? And then he begins to say, my clan is the smallest, it is the weakest, 
And we can't even possibly begin to do what you're calling us to do. We are the least of the least. And you think that I'm going to do this? I think sometimes we think that way, don't we? God, I can't do that. I don't have any resources. I don't have the influence. I don't, what can I ever possibly do? And sometimes we stand back and we say, God, aren't you impressed with how humble I am? I'm so humble, I know that I can't do anything, and so I don't. Aren't you impressed? Well, you know, humility is not really a low self-image. You do know that. Humility is not esteeming yourself as though you're the dregs of society. True humility is this. That you know you have a gift from God and to use it for God and not for yourself and anything that you do that is successful is for the glory of God. That's true humility. You've all been given a gift. Multiple gifts. And you may think, oh, I don't know what my gift is. I remember and I've talked about it before. My grandmother talked about I don't know what my gift was. Holy moly, my grandmother had a gift for hospitality. No one ever disliked and She came in. No one ever went away hungry. No, that is a gift. If it can be used, that is a gift that you've been given. Some of us have been given different gifts. Maybe we have an ability to work with numbers. That's really nice and great. Someone must really have, have gifts, and I'm getting into the weeds because I want you to recognize that gifts are not always about preaching or teaching. Sometimes you may just have an ability to look at someone and understand they're hurting with feeling and have compassion. It's a gift of feeling to understand and have emotional intelligence. That's a gift. Not everybody has that. Humility is knowing that you have a gift and then using it and not taking credit for it and say, God, thank you for the gift that you've given to me. It's very disturbing to watch on TV pro athletes, isn't it? Self-promotion, how great they are, promoting their names and all these kind of things. You know what it is? They've just been given a gift. Do you know the gift is from God? Now, yes, they have to develop it. I, I understand. But that gift is no better than your gift that you have. It's because it's given by God. What a side note, but it's very truth. Maybe we'll preach on that later. But the angel says to Gideon, I'll be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites. The task is given. The task is given to you. But then I, I like what happens here. This is, this is something that, again, was probably looked down, but this is actually... Something that I modeled, not after Gideon, I found out later on it was modeled after Gideon. But then Gideon lays out a test for God. He says, okay, God, if you're really, really going to be a part of this, then I, I need you to, to, to show me. And in verse 17, he says, if you're truly going to ask me this, show me a sign that this is really God speaking to me and not somebody else. And Gideon places this offering of meat and he places this offering of bread on a rock right before the angel. And the angel takes the tip of his staff, he touches the sacrifice, and a fire flares up and he consumes it all. And then the angel disappeared. And he said, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And now he's emboldened. His faith faith has been increased because he sees God move. My story of being called to pastor is very similar that I said, God, you have to make it so vitally clear or else I'll never even participate. And then he showed it to me and I said, really real? And he'd show it to me again and I said, is that really real? And then the third time I finally said, okay, it's real. Gideon had it shown and so now he knows this is really God calling him. And so now he's like, okay, I've settled it and I think that all of us got to get to that place that you've settled it, that God is calling to you. And now what are you going to do with it? 
What, is, what are you going to, to do to participate in this? So, so this is what happens. So he says, Gideon, I, I want you to now do something different. I, I want you to go and prepare another offering. But this offering is a little different. He says, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it and then build an altar to God right there. And this will be the hilltop sanctuary right here. You're going to tear down those things and build it. And this is going to be the place. And then I want you to sacrifice a burnt offering on the altar using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole. Use that old stuff that was serving another God and I want you to burn it. That's where we're going to begin this stuff right here that you cut down. And so he does it. So he says, I know that God's real. He's already shown it to him. I better get busy with this. And so he cuts down the pole next to the altar. He does everything that he's been asked to do. This, this Baal stuff, it's um, all kinds of things. That are, and he destroys these symbols. This the symbol of immorality. And he burns the poles. And, he, and, and it is a message that, hey, the time has come. We're going to get back to God. And we're going to forget all those other things that have that occupied our mind and got us off track. That's what I'm about. And that's what we're going to do. Verse 27 says that he took 10 of his servants. And I was thinking, he's got 10 servants. It must not have been the least of the least. Huh? He's got 10 servants. But anyway, takes 10 of his servants, and he did as the Lord commanded. But he did it at night so nobody could see. He does it at night, and he gets them all together. And you know what happens when people start waking up? They're mad. They're mad. Gideon's been trying to follow God. He's done what God is asking to do. And they get up and say, where is Gideon? He has messed this world up, and we're going to have his hide. That's the best thing that happens when you follow God, is that people start wanting your hide. Doesn't that excite you? I can't know. You cannot wait to get out of the closet now. Out of this fear, because you know what? People are going to want to take over. But his dad... Is a courageous dad, and he says, although, even though he was the one who established it, he was, he was the leader here, he established these places, he stands up. And he knows what, what he's been doing. He knows that Gideon is here to bring them back to God, and he's destroyed it. And so Joshua, Judges 6, 3, 31 tells us this. Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, and said, why are you defending Baal? Think about that. Why are you here defending Baal? If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself. And he will destroy the one who broke down this altar. Let God, let, let Baal do all this. That's pretty brazen. His dad does that. But I think it's something. You see, because something happens when we begin to follow God and when we begin to do things the way God had called us to do. And I said it last week about getting out of the boat. And you know how those other disciples, well, I would like to walk on water. The same thing happens. He follows God, and then his dad starts following him too. You see, my friend got out of the closet, and I said, well, I guess I better get out of there too. There's no sense in me being there being scared. He's, he's going to do it, so let's do it together. It's what happens when people start breaking out of the mold, when they're not held by fear, and one steps out forward. Now, not everybody may follow you, but you'll find somebody who will and say, yeah, I want to be a part of that. I see God moving here. And so he does it, and, and the people kind of cool off. Courage is contagious. Going against fear is contagious. And the truth is, there needs to be an inspiration because you know what? 
verse 33 says, Soon afterward, the armies of Midian and Amalek and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he sent messengers all over the northern Israel, calling them to arms. And to his amazement, 32,000 men respond. 32,000. Gideon is threshing. He's scared to death. He follows through with what God wants him to do. And all of a sudden he says, hey, we got to go to battle. And 32,000 people showed up. Wow. That is impressive. They're ready to fight. All they needed was a leader. They were all standing back in fear. They were ready to go if someone would stand up. I do wonder sometimes how many people are ready to stand up, but we're just sitting back. How many people would really fulfill the calling of God in their lives if we would really begin to get out of our comfort zone, to not let fear freeze us, and all of a sudden people would be joining alongside? I just wonder. It's a sobering day, though, if you've ever been a leader, and you look and all of a sudden you realize people are following you. People are listening to what you're saying. They're doing what you're asking, and all of a sudden you realize what a difference you are making whether it's one or 32,000. But Gideon is not, not, it is not over. Gideon is not finished with his fear. He is still afraid. And he says, hey, I know 32,000 have showed up. He's going to fight about 120,000, by the way. He said, I know 32,000 have showed up, but God, I need a fresh revelation. <laughs> I know that you showed me before, but we already did some of that stuff, and we've gotten this far. Now we need to do something else, because you've got to show me again, because I need, I would say, a fresh rhema, word of God, for the next thing. And so he does that. In verses 36 and 37, uh, then Gideon says to God, he said, if, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel, as you promised, prove it to me this way. I will put out a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the, flesh, if the fleece, fleece is wet and the dew, by the dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I know that you're going to help me rescue Israel, as you promised. And so the next morning, God had dramatically answered the request. God had wrung out a bowl full of water all over the fleece. But Gideon wasn't finished. He had second thoughts. So verse 39, he says to God, please don't be angry with me. But, you know, if we're going to do this, let's make sure it's really clear what you're, you're leading us, God. Let's be really clear. So let me make one more request. Let's do the opposite because maybe that just happened by accident. Let's put the fleece out, but this time let the ground be wet but the fleece be dry. Let's do that because then there is just no mistaking whatsoever what this thing's happening. In other words, reverse it. Just prove it really is a miracle. And so that night, verse 30 says, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. There was no mistake. God truly was with Gideon. I want you to know that you may have sensed the God calling on your life, and you stepped out, and you were bold, and you weren't scared, and you did something for God. It's not over. One step of faith is not all there is to it. Because there is another step. And I want you to know each step gets progressively more faithful because it gets sometimes more scary to step out and do what God is calling us to do. And now Gideon has settled it. I know it's there. I need to move on. I need to do something better and more strong for God. Yeah, that was pretty risky what I did. But now this is even going to be more risky. And so he goes back to God and he says, hey, let's talk. Show me. I need to see. And we need to constantly be in communication with God. We need to constantly ask. We need to constantly reaffirm. It's not like one and done. Hey, I talked to God 18 years ago and I'm still good today, even though I've never talked to him again. It is. 
It's a live event all the days of our life. And this is where Gideon really begins to trust in God. Yeah, he's building the trust, but now we too got to go the next step and really trust in God. We go to the seventh chapter. And it says that Gideon and his army got up early and they went as far as, as the spring of Herod. And then the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Condensing the story here a little bit. So God tells Gideon, you don't need a powerful military armor. You don't need, uh, what you really need is just a confident spirit. Let's begin to trim down these troops. Tell anyone who's scared, who's trembling, they can go home. So the 32,000 people who have been bold enough to step up, he says, any of you who are scared and you don't really want to do this, just go home. And 22,000 go home. You were feeling pretty good. 32,000 are with us. Say, this is not as bad as you. I thought it was going to be. And then 22,000 go home. Can you imagine what Gideon is thinking? God, you showed me you were real. And then we confirmed that you were calling me to do this. And then you're going to take away these resources? Because, you know, to us, big numbers mean there's strength. That means that, that we could do something because there's some big numbers. And now he's lost more than two-thirds. But God said to Gideon, that's still too many. What in the world? Take them down to the water, and I'm going to sift them out for you. They go down the water. He watches how they drink. And he sends back those who kneel down to water. He said, you guys got to go home. But those who pick up the water and bring it to their mouth, he says, okay, you guys, I'll keep you. And now he is down to 300. This is ridiculous. I might have said that a few times trying to follow God. This is ridiculous. What in the world is going on here? Only 300 people left. But he kept all their ram's horns trumpets. So first he trusts God completely. He seems enough to be convinced by God that he was really asking him to do this, that God, um, and that's really what God asked of us too. And Jesus says, don't worry about these things, what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear. Those will be taken care of, he says in Matthew. How many years must God provide for us before we're convinced that he really will supply our needs? How many years must we keep saying that, oh, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared, but every, it just keeps happening. Secondly, this is something that's important. Gideon was obedient to this. He trusted God completely, but he was obedient. And I think sometimes we get the message. We hear God. We say that we trust God, and then we fail in the obedience because we say, ah, that just doesn't make sense. When God instructed him to go, he went, even though he was scared to death. I think it's important to recognize courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is being afraid but going anyway. I think of our Lord and Savior Christ. Do you think that he was never afraid of what he would face? Absolutely he was. But he had the courage to do what he knew he was supposed to do. We too must have that same courage to be obedient. Even though we're afraid to step out, God is calling us, go do it. Go do it. God is calling. Don't wait. Judges chapter 7 verses 9 through 10 tells us that that night the Lord said, get up. Go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. 
But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged, and then you will be eager to attack. So he's still kind of reasoning with God, and God says, hey, I'm going to give you a middle road right here. Listen, Gideon doesn't say, oh, God, that won't be necessary. I don't need to go down and be confirmed anymore. He said, no, I'll take as much evidence and much faith building as I can. And so he, that night, he and his leadership they, and his servant, they, they sneak down to the edge of the camp, these 120,000 Midianites that are there. They sneak down, and they're listening to what they have to say. And one soldier says, I had a dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley. Does anybody know what Gideon means? barley a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp it hit a tent it turned it over and it knocked flat his companion answered your dream can only mean one thing God has given Gideon the son of Joash the Israelite victory over your Midian and all of its allies I don't get it guys how 120,000 people are shaking in their boots over what they think is 32,000 people I don't get it I don't get it at all. In fact, it doesn't make sense. But I am aware of this, that fear can keep you from doing what God is calling you to do. And guess what? Fear is keeping the Midianites because God (laughs) has instilled in them, don't go against God. And so now they're scared. And when I think about this for a moment, if I'm cowering in the closet because I'm afraid of someone's parents, I can really do nothing. If we're cowering in this world because we're fearful of what people will say, we'll not have some sense, we can do nothing. Now, if there's an enemy camped over here and they're scared too, and we're scared, and we're both sitting there, eventually someone's going to rise up. And I want you to know, I don't want it to be the enemy. I don't want the enemy to be attacking me. I want to be attacking them. That's a big thing to get. And if we cower in fear and we sit back and we're so scared of what people think, then we are so susceptible to attack. And really, we could get up and the enemy is scared of us, not us, but scared of what God can do. If we can grab hold of that, we will bust out of that closet and we will say, I don't care. I don't care what happens to me because I'm going to fulfill what God has called me to do. And it's up to God to fulfill this commission. And if I die, I die. You know what? Ultimately, I'm going to heaven anyway. So that's a pretty good spot. So, Gideon gets it. He said, they're scared to death. There's only three of us, and they're scared to death. They're having dreams about us conquering them. So Judges 7 15 says, when Gideon heard a dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. And now it was time to be bold. When he returned to the camp, he wakened all of his troops, all 300 of them. He said, get up, for the Lord has given us victory over the Midianite hordes. And he gave every man a torch with instructions to put the torch inside the clay pot so they couldn't see it coming. Hide that light. And every man was given a, a ram's horn trumpet. And then Gideon told them, keep your eyes on me. Watch me. And when I come to the edge of camp, you do as I do. Wow. Gideon is hiding and might be considered a coward. God says you're a hero, and does he show it? Three things right here that are so impressive that all of us ought to be engaged in. The first is this reassuring confidence. We can do it. And he tells the people who are with him, we will do it. We're going to do everything we know how God has called us, and we're going to do it, and we will not back up. What an amazing amount of confidence he first instills in them. The second thing is he clearly communicates, this is what we're going to do. This is it. Very clearly. Any questions? This is what we're going to do. 
And the third thing he does is, I'm going to do it too. I'm not asking you to do something that I won't do. In fact, he says, watch me. Watch me. Do as I do. Wow. All things that all of us need to get a hold of as we're getting rid of this fear that we recognize it too, is we need to say to other people, hey, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. That's, what we're going to, that's what's going to happen. We're going to be clear in our communication. And then we're going to do it ourselves. So the Israelite, they silently surround the Midianite camp. And they give the signal. And all massive 300 men, 120,000 they're fighting. They smash those pots that are hiding the lights. Which would have made a ruckus if 300 of them would have been done. And all of a sudden they're flaming torches and they shout. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And they're already scared of Gideon. You know the Midianites are. Instantly awaking the sleeping enemy. Then they blow their trumpets making the loudest racket they could make. And when suddenly startled Midianites saw the torches and heard the awful racket, they panicked. And they thought they were surrounded by a powerful army. Verse 22 says that when the 300 Israelites blew their ranks horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their own swords. They were so panicked in fear, they fight against each other in their own swords. And oh my goodness, what an illustration for the church. If we are so scared and all of a sudden the enemy attacks and we start killing each other with our own swords. It happens when we're so fearful. And God knew that they were fearful and he does it. And all of a sudden they just start killing each other. And what must Gideon be thinking? Oh my goodness, my God is a great God. What enemies are you facing? What are you scared of that would keep you from really doing all that God is calling you to do to develop your gifts and your talents and just completely give them over to God? What is it that has made you feel defeated? That it feels like maybe you conquered it once and it just keeps coming back? What is it that has made you discouraged? And it feels like you can never overcome it. You don't have enough power. I think that, the, that this is all about taking back your life. It's time to take your stand. It's time for you to stand up. That God is coming to you in that moment and saying, The Lord is with you, mighty hero. You are a hero. Not because of how wonderful you are, but because God is instilling in you and building a gift. And you just allow God to use it. You are a hero. God is calling us to it today. What a story would have been if Gideon said, leave me alone, I'll just hide in fear all the rest of my life. We would never say such things, but we might live it. God is calling us to live victoriously. Calling us to, to stop doubting and believe and to walk in faith. He's calling us to be a doer and not a complainer. You see a problem, help fix it. We keep wanting God, just get this, we keep wanting God to do something without our help. In fact, we sometimes pray that way. We want God to do something without our help. Remember the angel said, go in your strength. Do what you know to do. I'll do the rest. But God wants you to, wants to use you. He needs you to be engaged. He always works through people. You're looking for a blessing. The blessing might be you. 
to someone else. God called Midian a mighty warrior. But that's not who he was at first. It was who he would become with God's help. God looked at his potential rather than his weakness. That is what God is doing right now. If you'll walk in faith, if you'll do what he is calling us to do, the Lord challenges us today, just like he did Gideon. Do not live in fear. Go with the strength you have, for I am sending you. There is no one in this congregation this morning that the message is not to you. Oh, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough friends. I've ruined my life. I've ruined relationships around me. I never possibly could ever do it. No. God is calling you right now to fulfill, to take back your life, to not live in fear. As Ryan plays for us this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Yeah, you may need to get right with Jesus, and you may need to tell God you're sorry for the sins that you have done, that you might renew the relationship, and that is perfectly acceptable. But you also may need to say, God, I am tired of living in fear. I will do it no more, and I will live according to what you've called us to do. As Ryan leads us this morning, I invite you just to stand. If you want to come forward and pray, you can do that. You can pray right where you are. You can do whatever you'd like, but I think you need an opportunity to respond. Do not live in fear. God is calling, has always been calling, and wants you to be a hero because you allow him to work in you. Develop the gifts. Turn your life completely over to God. Our Father, we thank you for your presence here today. We don't take it for granted, Lord, that sometimes in their life it's been real dry and we can't sense it and know it. But God, we thank you that your presence has been made known today. God, I pray that we would go away from this place, Lord, encouraged not to to hide behind anything, God, but to live boldly for you. Not in our own power, Father, but in the power that you work in us where we really live with the life you've called us to live. God, if we don't know what we're good at, the gift, God, I pray that you would just speak it to us even at this moment, that we would know it and that we would use it for your glory, God. Help us because we are a weak people and we recognize that we cannot defeat the enemy alone. But God, us and you, you with us, absolutely, God. Help us to be the God, the people that you've called us to be. Taking back our life, Lord, because fear will not control it anymore, God. We love you and we honor you. And we ask that the spirit of of Gideon's story, Lord, would resonate throughout the day with us, God. Continue speaking, Lord, where men cannot bring it home to us, God. Help us, I pray. In the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You are dismissed.